When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with more money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome, folks. This is Steve Moore, and this is the More Money Show. Thank you so much for listening. I know we have a great entourage of uh, of um, regular listeners to this show. I know that because our ratings are very good, and it's a privilege to have a show on the the number one talk radio station in these United States. Uh, so this is WABC, and thanks to the great John Katsimatidis, for rebuilding this station and putting on such great, great, great hosts of shows during the week and during the weekend. And I'm, uh, as I said, I'm honored to be able to be among the great, great uh, thinkers and talkers that are on this station all of the time. So I hope you're all having a great, great weekend. I want to get right down to it. We've got a great show today. Um, I want to start with a little commentary on what's going on with this budget fight because it really is front, front and central, in my opinion, to where this country is headed economically. And I, I believe that the country is, um, on the wrong track. <laughs> and you know what? I think three out of four Americans agree with me because that's what almost all the polls show. Either two out of three or three out of four Americans think the country is on the wrong track and that we're in danger right now, both from a national security perspective, but also with respect to the, the crazy things we're doing to our economy that don't make sense and that will cause a financial train wreck if they're not fixed. And so uh, I want to mention a few things that are going on that are really important. And incidentally, um, if you're not getting what the little hot, what we call our um, Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline every morning, please sign up for it. It's free. I'm not selling anybody anything. I know we've got a lot of the listeners of this show who are are already receiving it. You, it's an email that goes out every morning, five mornings a week, and it just gives you up to a little five-minute update about what's going on with the, the critical issues. We add a little humor. We always have a cartoon, and we always, you know, it's fun to spoof and and, uh, and make fun of some of the crazy things that some of my liberal friends do, but there's a lot of really good information in there. So if you want to be the smartest person in the room, get the Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline and just go to the website, Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and just sign up. It's free. I'm not I'm not selling anybody anything, and there's no advertising either. So you'll just get straight information. And why we do this? Because I want Americans to be informed. I, now, I always brag to my friends that I have the, some of the smartest listeners in America uh, on my show. And I know that because we take calls almost every week and the people who call in have brilliant insights. I learn a lot hearing from you and I will be taking your calls 
um, towards the bottom of the hour. So uh, if you want to join in the conversation, uh, please do 1-800-848-9222 is the More Money Hotline. I'll give you that number again, 1-800-848-9222. Or an easy way to remember that is 1-800-848-9222. Um, uh, let's see, 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-WABC. What we're going to be talking about today is what do you think about the policies that the Republicans in Congress are promoting? They came out with a big proposal, I think it was early this week or late last week, on the on the budget, and there's been so much histrionics about this um, and hysteria that I wanted to let you all know what's in that plan, because this is really an important fight that's coming up. Do we stay on the current course that we're on, which is what Joe Biden says, everything's wonderful in America, so we're just going to keep spending, borrowing, and we're going to keep having high inflation. We're going to keep paying people not to work. Uh, we're going to keep uh, destroying our energy industry, and that's going to have a happy ending. And I hope he's right. But I think the odds of that are pretty low. I mean, if you got policies that are dismantling one of America's great industries, our, in, our energy industry, when you've got policies that are uh, adding more and more people to the welfare rolls, when you've got policies that are adding one and a half to two trillion dollars of debt every year to our country, um, can we all agree that's not a very smart thing to do and that that is a real negative long term implication, not just long term, you know, what I medium term in the next you know year or two or three, we could see a major major economic contraction. We could see a financial crisis where the stock market crashes because of all the policies that Biden is pursuing. So, I want to mention two things that I want you all to be aware of. Number one, we uh, if you go to the Committee to Unleash Prosperity uh, website or just go on YouTube, you can see that there's a group called the Patriotic Millionaires. And some of you may have heard about this, but the patriotic millionaires are people like Abigail Disney, who's the granddaughter of the great Walt Disney and a bunch of Wall Street uh, financial executives and other people who uh, have millions of dollars of assets. And they basically say they want to pay more taxes. Raise my taxes, they say. And they say that makes us patriotic. So uh, I crashed their um press conference on Monday morning with all the most liberal members of Congress. Yeah, tax the rich, soak the rich, more and more taxes. Everybody's got to pay more taxes, especially the rich people. They even endorsed a 90% tax rate. Now, uh, you don't have to be Art Laffer. You don't have to be Larry Kudlow. Uh, you don't have to be a Republican to understand a 90% tax rate for anybody would destroy the incentive to invest, to create businesses, who's going to do that if you have to pay 90% or more to the government uh, for your winnings? You'd, you'd be better off buying a sailboat and just sailing around the world rather than putting your money at risk. And then when the business succeeds, the government takes 90% of, away, uh, of it away from you. So that's a really dumb idea. <laughs> I think hopefully we can all agree that's a really, really stupid idea. And it would hurt, you know, the lowest income people because it would mean less jobs and so on. So, I crashed the party and I, when they got the first thing they all said, by the way, very sanctimoniously, we want to, we're here today in front of the Capitol because we want to pay more taxes. So the first question I, I, I had this little petition, uh, that I brought to the press conference and I raised my hand and I said, well, this is very patriotic of you. You want to pay more taxes. Uh, and you think that uh, rich people like yourselves should pay a 90% tax. So I handed this petition to these people and said, check this box and say you're willing to pay 90% tax. 
you know, you don't have to wait for a change in the law. There's no law that says you can't pay a 90% tax. If you want to, you can. And you've got to see this video. It's, it's already at a million views and you should see the looks on these people's face. They're, they're, well, no, we don't want to, we, we don't really want to pay more taxes. We want the other guy to pay more taxes, which is pretty typical, uh, and, and hypocritical of the left. And so, uh, you might have fun watching this, but it kind of blew their hypocrisy right out of the water. Now, let's get to, uh, Kevin McCarthy. And the proposal he set forward, and what I'm going to do in the next few minutes is just very um, carefully um, uh, go down the list of things that are in that proposal. And then what I'd like when we get to the callers is I want you all to tell me what you like about these ideas and what you don't like. And I say this every week, but if you're a Democrat, if you have someone who is more of a progressive and I'm using that in air quotes, progressive point of view, please call in. We're, we're uh, a station that believes in freedom of speech. I want to hear dissent. I want to hear your, you know, as long as you're not just being a jerk, but you have real thoughts about why these things don't make sense. I want to hear from you because that's the way we learn. And we need more conversation between people of different views in this country rather than just name calling. So here are the proposals that have come forward in this proposal by uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's going to try to get this through the House uh, uh, early. I think they're going to try to call for a vote on Wednesday in the House of Representatives. Okay, number one, you're saying we're going to put a 1% cap on spending, 1% cap. I like that idea. Yeah, let's do that. You know, we've, we've spent trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars under COVID. Uh, let's go back to what we were spending before COVID because COVID has been gone for two years. There's no more COVID crisis. And just like at the end of World War II or the end of World War I or the Civil War or at the end of the Great Depression, when the crisis is, was over, we we cut back government spending because the crisis was over. Um, so I say, you know, 1% cap is probably too much. We should be cutting spending, but a 1% cap, I can live with that. Can you? Do you think it's cruel? To have a 1% overall cap on government spending? I don't, especially because we spent, you know, $8 trillion more money than we had just in the last three years and, uh, and Trump's last year in office and then the first two years of Biden. So number one is the 1% cap. You like that or not? Number two, cancel the idea of student loan bailouts. If people make a loan, they, they're responsible for paying back the loan. Why should you and I pay for their student loans? <laughs> I mean, simple as that. I don't think that people who have the means to do so should take out a loan and then not repay it and then ask the taxpayers to pay for it. But again, if you have a different view on that, I'd love to hear your explanation. I've never heard Joe Biden explain why people who took out student loans and signed the dotted line should be, uh, should be, um, you know, exempt from paying these, these, uh, their loan back. I, I'm sorry. I just don't see any sensibility in that. But again, if you have a different view, I want to hear your point of view. The third thing that he does is there's a, a work requirement for welfare. Yeah, we're going to have a safety net. We're going to, if, if you're, we don't want people to go hungry in this country. We don't go, want people to go homeless in this country. We don't want people to face deprivation. We're a rich country. But you know what? If the government's going to help you, you're going to have to help yourself. It's a hand up, not a hand out. And so, yes, we're going to give you benefits. We're going to give you food stamps. We'll give you rental assistance. We'll give you, you know, cash payments. But you have to be either one, looking for a job, two, in a job, or three, in a job training program. We are not going to pay people money to sit home and watch 
uh, Netflix all afternoon on the on the couch. Nope, sorry, we're not going to do it. Is that cruel? I don't think it's cruel. <laughs> I think it's common sense. We did it in the 1990s with welfare reform signed by Bill Clinton, a Democrat, and we reduced the poverty rate because you know what? When when we said you got to go out and work to get the benefits, guess what? People go out went out and got jobs, and the poverty rate actually fell. So that's the next one. Do you think there's a problem with work requirements? I think they're great. I think we should do it. The next one on the list, oh, there's $300 billion of unspent COVID money, you know, money that was appropriated but we didn't need, never got spent. It's like sitting there in the vault, and the Democrats want to spend that money. <laughs> we don't have $300 billion extra money. Return that. To, don't spend the money, and then we can use that to uh, lower our deficit and debt. You know, the the – we, we appropriated too much money, more money than we needed, so let's not spend it. Does that make sense to you? Because it certainly makes sense to me. And then the final one that's on this list is, um, oh, not hiring 87,000 more IRS agents. Why are we going to do that? All we have to do is simplify the tax system, have a flat tax or something like that. And we don't have to buy 87,000 more IRS agents who are going to snoop into every record you have. By the way, they are now looking at every financial transaction that you and I and everybody listening to this show may, uh, makes over $600. You buy an air conditioner. Uh, you buy an air, airline a round trip flight. You're paying $650 for it. And now you have to report all this to the IRS. Why? Why does the IRS have to know everything about what we're doing? I'm kind of libertarian. I don't want the government to know what we're doing. And so those are the things that they're talking about in this bill. And the idea is let's put in place these reforms, and then we will pass the debt ceiling. That makes sense to me. I want to make, I want to, you know, I don't want the government to uh, have to shut down. But you know what? If this is what it takes to get these reforms in place, I'm telling you, I'm willing to see a temporary shutdown of the agencies of government. I'm talking about like the Department of Education and the Interior Department. And I'm not talking about Social Security, Medicare, or not paying our debt. Uh, obviously, we're going to pay our debt. I'm saying, you know, if these massive government bureaucracies in Washington had to sit home for a few days and we we didn't have these programs open, I don't think most Americans would even notice. So I'm here to say, yes, Kevin McCarthy has the right approach. And I want to hear from people whether you agree or disagree with that policy. Uh, this is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show on WABC Radio. And I will be right back. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. You know, at our firm here, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. We're a boutique firm here in New York City. We have an office in Philadelphia, Jacksonville. Is We just spend all our time thinking about financial planning. And I think the one thing we've learned over the years is it's really about attention to detail. And one of the mistakes that we see a lot of you make is cutting corners when it comes to your financial planning. And a lot of times that can come back to haunt you later. So I thought we could talk today about some of the shortcuts that you might be taking that you shouldn't be taking to make sure that you secure your retirement. Hey, Rod, you know, first of all, for almost 50 years in the industry, of helping people to design financial plans and, and more importantly, their asset allocation. You know, 90% of every portfolio and plan I've reviewed, the investor was taking way more risk than necessary to achieve their financial goals and as a result made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, and the biggest problem in our industry is most investments 
are sold, not bought. So what happens is you end up with all these products, and when you break them down, they have a lot of fees in them, and you end up with what we call this collection of investments, and that's a terrible way to structure your retirement plan. Well, Ryan, how do you know that that's what you're working with? You know, how do you know that this investment product that they're that's being sold uh, isn't appropriate? I mean, what what are what are the uh, red flags for someone listening to us right now? Well, I think first and foremost, like, is the person recommending you that investment? Is it in context of any sort of goals that you have or financial planning that you've done? Because if you're not doing the financial plan first and someone's just recommending investments, that's like the biggest red flag ever. That's putting the cart before the horse. And, you know, that's a real problem. So you got to really ask yourself, is the person I'm working with, are we talking about financial planning? Are we talking about the income I need in retirement? Are we talking about a tax plan? So that, you know, I'm only paying my fair share to the IRS. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, almost every single person that calls us and we meet with, uh, you know, from our show, they don't have a plan to share with us. We have to start from scratch. I mean, how is it possible to have so many financial professionals professing to be planners without doing planning? Bob, you know, my thought is they're lazy. <laughs> and I think talking about cutting corners, I think financial professionals cut the most corners when it comes to this industry. Because let's face it, like financial planning is not that much fun. It's a little bit dry, but like every decision you make, you know, it really has to be in context of goals. So, I mean, you've got to sit down, work with someone who's looking at what is your real budget? You know, what do you need to spend? Inflation, because cost of living is going to double over the next 20 years for you. I mean, these are all things that need to be accounted for up front. And it is a little bit of work, but that's kind of work that has to get done before you make any investment decisions whatsoever. Well, I think that's the biggest issue, Ryan. I think the biggest thing I see right now is that we're all living longer. Uh, we're, we're healthier. We're, we're having great lives. There's more opportunity to do things. But the one discussion that no one wants to seem to have is what's your health care cost going to be, especially near your end of life? Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, estimations on that now are going to need like a quarter of a million dollars for healthcare costs. And I would venture to say that most of you, when you've run your financial planning, if you've done some financial modeling, haven't looked at like, what if a quarter of a million dollars came out of my portfolio in retirement? Would that affect the income that I can spend? I mean, these are real questions. And, you know, you really need to put that financial plan under the stress test. And a lot of you aren't doing that. You know, Ryan, that ties into not just financial planning, but also with your legal documents. You want to make sure that your will's up to date, your power of attorney. You have a power of attorney for your health, power of attorney for your money. You want to make sure that the beneficiaries are the people that you want to receive your money in your retirement accounts. You know, it's amazing. When you update a, a document after 10 years, you find out that you named a guardian for your children who happens to be a person you don't like anymore. So there are a lot of risk if you don't update your plan on a systematic basis. Yeah. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, okay, I get it. I'm cutting corners right now. I like, I don't have a real plan in place. I haven't updated my documents. I haven't really thought about a real income plan for retirement. Here's your shot to do it. We're down to four slots left. If you've saved over a million dollars for retirement, we'll keep them open for the rest of the show. If you call or text right now, Bob and I will run for you our now famous total financial master plan. And we'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally will go through everything. There's no other firm out there that will do this work up front. We're going to build you your own personalized financial portal, give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial picture, and just hone in on every issue you need to address today. 
You need that income plan for retirement. You need to factor in inflation. Your costs are going to double over the next 20 years. How do you draw from your portfolio? How do you take Social Security the right way and not run out of money? We're going to put together a full income game plan for you. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been extremely volatile over the last year and a half. Have you felt that with your portfolio? Or have you been sitting in cash? Can't figure out what to do. Paralysis by analysis. We're going to help put together a full investment game plan show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street just loves to sell you products that have high fees, like those annuities, mutual funds, brokerage products, structured products that are extremely tax inefficient. We're going to show you how to reduce all the costs on your portfolio and optimize it for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. You're going to get our full tax playbook. We literally have four slots left if you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next four callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will create for you your own unique total financial master plan. Now, there's no obligation, no cost, no strings attached, but you won't have a plan if you don't text or call 844 844- 752-6692, that's 844-752-6692, or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC, that's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, if you want to learn more about myself and Bob and our firm, Pain Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, simply go to bebullish.com, that's bebullish.com, you can check out our podcast, Pain Points of Wealth, simply go to bebullish.com, stay tuned, we got more. More money coming your way. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Bob Payne, Chief Investment Strategist here at Payne Capital Management with this week's market update. This week on the Street of Dreams, the major indices finished a listless week, not far from where they started with below average daily trading volume and declining volatility. For the week, the S&P 500 dipped one-tenth of one percent. The Dow shed about 78 points or two-tenths of one percent. And the NASDAQ composite was our biggest loser, losing four-tenths of 1% on the week. On Thursday, the Labor Department announced new jobless claims increased by 5,000 to 245,000. New jobless claims have crept higher this year after touching a 54-year low, pointing to some cooling in a hot labor market. But the labor market is still quite strong, in spite of the Federal Reserve's efforts to slow the economy and especially curb the appetite for workers leading many to believe that the Fed will raise rates by 25 basis points or a quarter of 1% at the next FOMC meeting. On a more positive note, and for the moment, first quarter reporting season appears to be going quite well. Earnings from the S&P 500 companies that have reported have come in almost 5% above analyst expectations. While only about 20% of S&P 500 companies have reported first quarter results so far, they've been better than feared, with 79% of those companies beating profit estimates by a median of 6%, and 63% of companies beating revenue estimates by a median of 4%. Now, the earnings reporting season ramps up in the coming week with mega-cap companies like Microsoft, Alphabet, and Amazon on the docket. Plus, investors will get a slew of economic data, including preliminary gross domestic product estimates for the first quarter and the Federal Reserve's preferred inflation gauge. So markets will continue to be volatile as jumpy investors will react to each incremental data point as they always do. 
spite of the fact it's only market noise and off time contradicts each other. But their actions will only heighten the lingering uncertainty headed into the Fed's May policy meeting. Now, what the market does on a day, a week, or month doesn't really matter all that much. Most of us, most of the time, of course, are thinking longer than that. And that's why we need to stay invested and embrace market volatility, not fear it. Keep in mind the four most dangerous words when investing, according to legendary investor Sir John Templeton, is it's different this time. It's never different. There have always been and there will always be concerns. But concerns are simply that, concerns. They are not certainties. And each concern is merely a single brick in the wall of worry that markets have climbed successfully all of our lives. Hey, my son Ryan and I, we have 70 years of combined industry experience of building low-cost, tax-efficient, gold-based portfolios. For your free evaluation, all you need to do is call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply give us a call at 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, this is Bob Payne. I'm the Chief Investment Strategist of Payne Capital Management. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show. This is Steve Moore. Uh, I love having uh, the Paynes on, by the way, because I think uh, that Ryan and Bob Payne are two in the best in the financial business. So you should definitely take them up on their offer for a free consultation. But speaking of people who are absolute pros in the financial markets, some of the wise, wisest people on this planet in terms of how to invest your money, I turn to, when I don't turn to the pains, I talk to my good friend David Bonson with uh, Bonson Capital Management. Dave, David Bonson is also the author of one of my favorite new books that's called, you got to get this book, folks, and, and you, it's it's a fun read. And you can kind of just pick it up and read sections of it. It's called There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. And I, I always joke with David that I put it by my bedside and I read it at night. And that's not because it's a cure for insomnia. It's because I always I like it because there's these little nuggets of economic wisdom that I every time I read it, I find some great quote by a Milton Friedman or Adam Smith or some great businessman. Uh, and so it's fantastic that again, the title of that book, because you can get it on Amazon, is there no, there's no free lunch, 250 economic truths. And by the way, you all, I think most of you know that that saying there's no free lunch comes from one of my favorite economists of all time, Milton Friedman. So David, thanks so much for joining. Well, see, thanks for having me and always thanks for the nice uh, yeah. Well, appreciate you being here as always. By the way, David Botson and I oftentimes uh, appear together on Sean Hannity's radio show, and I always learn so much from him. So I was, uh, I'm so glad that you're joining us. So, David, let's start with this. I, I'm befuddled by this economy. I really am. I can't quite figure out where it's going. I can't figure out where the stock market is going. And I think I speak for a lot of our listeners who are in the same position. Um, you know, there are some parts of the economy that st- seem strong, like the labor market, and then other areas. Uh, and, you know, it looks like inflation is getting better, but then we see reports that energy prices are rising again and so on. And what is an investor to do? Because I just, and I've been wrong, you know, I thought we might see a recession in the first quarter of 2000, uh, 
23, as many people did. I think you were a little bit more bullish than others. But where do you see things headed? Well, I want to speak to the fact that it's confusing and befuddling for (laughs) even a smart economic guy like you, let alone for how many people out there just trying to make heads and tails of what's going on. Steve, I think that for somebody like me, who is a political conservative and a devout Reaganite and has been my whole life, Right. That there is there is an irresistible temptation to associate our politics with what is happening in the economy. Right. Did we lose you? So I think, folks, we lost uh, David Bonson there. We're going to try to get him back. I think we had a connection problem with him. Uh, but while we're waiting, I want to remind people that um, in about 10, 15 minutes, we'll be taking your calls. Uh, and I want to go over those ideas that uh, Kevin McCarthy has in his budget proposal, which I think are reasonable. I think are mostly very reasonable things that a government should do if they're going to pay their, uh, you know, pay their bills. And by the way, Mr. Producer, let me know when David Bonson is back on. But, you know, it's basically work requirements for welfare. It's claiming in not spending the $300 billion of excessive uh, COVID relief money that is not needed anymore. It's basically putting a cap on government spending after spending, you know, trillions of dollars on COVID and so on. So uh, as soon as I'm done with my conversation with David Bonson, I want to hear what you all think about that. That's that call in numbers 1-800-848-9222. But I think, David, do we have you back? Yeah, we do. And I apologize for that connection problem. Hopefully we're better now. And, and so, Steve, what I was trying to say, I really think it's such an important topic. When we are somehow able to just put aside expectations of how politics are going to affect the economy right. and and mm-hmm. really evaluate things more objectively, it does okay. help. And I think it helps for the future, too, because, see, I think Barack Obama's policies were disastrous. And yet the stock market was up eight out of eight years since <laughs> he was president. And, and yeah. I think that, um, that, that there were sometimes have been really good presidents, and you've had the stock market down when they were president. Because there are things like monetary policy, things like geopolitics, things like, um, you know, lagging effects that could all affect things. President Mm -hmm. Biden has benefited from the tax policies of President Trump that you all passed. There Mm -hmm. is a huge lagging impact from corporate taxes having gone down. There is huge profitability from the investment that was made when we repatriated foreign profits back onshore. Right. And, the, and so that's the, But the other element is just put aside bad politics. This is a capitalism. This is the American economy that is largely, right. but not perfectly, but largely driven by the profit motive. And that stuff works. And so we shouldn't be surprised when things are going sometimes better than expected economically. So I just add to what you're saying that, you know, obviously, uh, I, I mean, I think when Biden came into office, uh, when he, you know, his, his great, his line that he uses all the time, oh, the economy was a catastrophe and I fixed everything. It was teed up, wasn't it, David? I mean, COVID was coming to an end. Businesses were reopening. People were going back to work. And, you know, so I think there's part of that too, is this, this momentum that was built up from having the, you know, once the economy was shut down for a year and a half, it seemed like it was ready to explode. Yes, the only president that I can think of in recent history who could say I inherited a terrible economy 
was Obama right. when he came in in the middle of the financial. That's true. Crisis, yes. You know, yes. and even 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 President Bush uh, Jr. took over uh, a pretty strong economy from yeah. Bill Clinton, though, though, obviously, dot com had blown up. Right. There were a lot of other really positive things happening. And then we had 9-11 and a minor recession and some other things. But but, Steve, I guess what I'm saying is right now it's more than just jobs that are healthy. We do have a pretty strong, a pretty strong business atmosphere. Small right. businesses are hurting more than they should, but right. there is a, a decent amount of investment in, into the future. And, and some things are going to get a lot better in the future. I don't know if it will be after pres- uh, 2024 or not, but I really think a lot. there's going to be a big CapEx boom where we have a lot of American investment onshore in some of our supply chain. So you think you're that's a pretty bullish statement you're making, David. And, you know, I've been saying that I I, I just feel like things are off track you know, for the economy. And but as you know, if you look at the recent polling, you know, about 70 percent of Americans kind of agree with me that there's something people are nervous about what we're doing in Washington. And I want to just go back to your point, because I, I agree with almost everything that you said, but I also believe that policy matters, right? I mean, you know, if you get the policies right, you can get a lot more, you know, reduce regulation, encourage capitalism, encourage entrepreneurship, uh, get government regulations off of the back of our businesses. So I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. You sound like you think things are going to get better over the last next year or two. Well, maybe two. I do suspect still that there is about a 50 yeah. percent chance of a recession at the end of okay. this year, beginning beginning part of next year. And why is that? Why? 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 Sorry to interrupt. But why? What, what makes you nervous about a recession? In other words, why? What would be the trigger for that? If the Fed is to continue over tightening above and beyond what is necessary, you know, right, right. now, Steve, we have zero percent inflation for the last nine months. If you X out energy, which is not monetary, and shelter, yep. which is dead wrong, dead wrong. Uh, the, the idea that we have 8.2% inflation in housing right now would be news to anybody trying to sell their house, I assure you. And, 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 <laughs> okay, so, I, and so hold on. I, again, I just want to – I'm sorry to interrupt because, you know, what you're saying is so important, and a lot of us are not brilliant financial um, experts like you are. So would you advise the – Fed not to raise rates because uh, there's you know most people think they'll raise rates again. Do you think that's should they should or shouldn't? I definitely think they shouldn't. I do think it appears they will. I don't think they go put four Fed governors out to talk this way, even though right. three of them, by the way, three of them do right. not have a vote. But Fed four Fed governors have said we should. The futures market is pricing that they will, so we assume they're going to do it one more time. And here's the bad news. For our economy okay. and good news, good news for for people who hold risk assets. Um, well, all it means is that they're going to have to end up cutting rates sooner and more heavily. In other words, they're just playing both sides of the extreme. They left rates too low for too long, and that was right. I think exacerbating what will become the bus, meaning they're going to see worse impact than is necessary in commercial real estate or credit markets or things. Like that. And then what will the Fed do, Steve? We've seen it our whole adult lives. You and I both have never lived through a period where the second something mm-hmm. goes wrong, the Fed doesn't rush out to start cutting interest rates <laughs> right, and then leaving, right. them, leaving them too low for too long. Imagine yeah. it never went to zero 
or maybe we went to zero just for a few months during COVID, you know, but then immediately start sort of normalized. Uh, if we hadn't gone to zero and we hadn't come all the way up right now to five, what if they just yep. kept it at about two and a half, about two and a half right. percent the last couple of years? We wouldn't have a boom and we wouldn't have a bust. But but then I would say, you know, to play the devil's advocate, then we're going to have, you know, persistently high inflation, which is a big, big problem. And and I think that's it, where there is disagreement with me, okay. with, with a lot yep. of my friends on the right. Yeah. And I don't like that because generally I agree with my heroes, but I disagree with a couple of them on this one. Um, okay. I don't think energy price inflation is Jay Powell. I think it's America uh, taking a policy that we're not going to use our own assets, our own strengths. It's but, something but, you and I have okay, talked about so, with Sean Hannity. Yeah, well, this is a good discussion because, okay, I accept what you're saying, but still the policy itself is going to reduce the supply of energy, right? Because we're not – he's basically saying we're not going to produce it, and that is going to raise the price, and therefore yeah. the Fed has to – doesn't doesn't the Fed have to counter that? Well, how does the Fed using the interest rate bring supply of energy online? <laughs> well, good all, point. <laughs> all good that point. the Fed can do is try to manipulate demand, either up or down with the cost of capital, Steve. Well, there has been yeah, no excessive demand of energy. We're still trying to basically use about the same amount of oil and gas we were using before COVID. The difference is so we're, again, just big, to, we're making yeah. that. So you're you're sounding pretty bullish on the U.S. economy and the market right now. Am I am I misdiagnosing what you're saying? In other words, for our listeners who are investors, stay in the market. But I would not recommend staying right. in the market as an investor if what that means to you is overloading on the S and P 500, which is primarily. Apple, Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Mm -hmm. In other words, okay. I think five, six, seven technology companies is a very bad way to invest when they're trading at 20, 30, 40 times earnings. So even though I'm bullish on risk assets because I'm bullish on free enterprise and bullish on the profit yeah. motive, I do yeah. want people to be more selective. Got it. And so uh, I wrote a column uh, this week where it was in the New York Post about <clears throat> the Biden tax plan, David. And I looked at all the new tiers of taxation on investment that Biden has proposed. And those, as I think you know, include he wants to raise the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent. He wants to raise the capital gains tax from I think we're at 23.8 percent today. He wants to raise that up to 44 percent. He wants to tax unrealized capital gains. In other words, for those who don't know what that means. It means like if you have an asset, a stock or a farm or something, and it appreciates in, in value, you'd have to pay a tax on that, whether you sold it or not. Um, and, and then when you add in state and local taxes and so on, I came to the conclusion that under the Biden plan, David, you could, you could, uh, let's say you invest a million dollars in a company and you make a million dollars, you'd pay an 80% tax on that. Now, so my question to you is, what is that going to do to investment? What's that going to do to the stock market if it were to were to happen? But see, you just said the key words in the last part of your sentence. If it <laughs> were to happen, and it's right. not. It's not going to happen. That's the right. key. You see, so on one hand, if Steve Moore and David Bonson, who agree on most things, are making a list of pros and cons, right. Steve, Steve and David both put Joe Biden in the list of cons, but then David puts in his list of pros. Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, Alexander <laughs> Hamilton. Be well, I we think you got a good point there. <laughs> you got me on that one. And so you're you're basically saying 
fundamentally, this is a healthy system that we have. You don't believe that capital. See, I'm worried that capitalism is in danger in America. And uh, you seem to to think that we're going to that some of these really um, dingbat ideas are not going to happen. And I think you're probably right about that. But I do want to offer the kind of uh, the, the uh, counter to that because mine is yeah. not a Pollyannish optimism. I'm a happy warrior, but there's something right. to be a warrior about here. Our okay. biggest threat to capitalism, Steve, is not Joe Biden. Our biggest threat to capitalism is culture. It's Harvard. Yeah. It's the UC California college system. I agree. It's the public high school yeah. system, K through 12 teachers unions. Okay, we have to vigilantly defend free enterprise. Yes. Um, ideologically, philosophically, personally, yes. it, it ultimately, people at like Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin dealt with Joe Biden. Okay, but what you guys like you and me and Larry Kudlow have to do is right. we have to make sure other people in America keep hearing the positive news of free enterprise because that's where we will lose the war, not in one election, but in one or two decades. That's where we have to keep fighting. Well, you're, what you're saying is so important because I just saw a survey that came out within the last six months or so that more college students describe themselves as socialists rather than capitalists. That's, that's scary. Yeah. And the good news in that is as I've looked at that stuff deeper, they don't mean they like socialism. They don't like socialism. They hate what they think of as capitalism. They don't like, uh, they don't like cronyism. And, and, and so when I defend free enterprise, by the way, Steve, I, I actually don't even really like the word capitalism. I mean, it was sort of Karl Marx's way of kind of, um, poking at us because he, because yes. our ism is not, is not just capital. It's, it's people, it's ideas, right. it's, it's freedom. Right. That's why it's I freedom. think a free yeah. society, a market economy, free enterprise, yes. these are better free terms enterprise. Yep. Human, the human flourishing we stand behind. But where I am negative, where I am really concerned is debt. It's, it's national debt. That's a thing okay. that I hate to say it. I'm so sorry for my Republican friends. But it's a bipartisan problem that we have overspent for 25 years. And now I think that we have to deal with the um, impact of $31 trillion in national debt and how that puts downward pressure on growth. Uh, luckily for us Americans, our uh, society, our engine of growth has been able to keep up better than Japan's has. But look, we should not be getting 1% to 2% economic growth. We, I mean, in yeah, one year with pathetic. President Trump, because of the brilliant tax cuts, we got up to 3%, up to 3 We mm-hmm. averaged 3.1% for 70 years. Okay, mm-hmm. we should be doubling our economic growth, which okay, so more jobs, more opportunity. Give me – do you have a couple more minutes, David? I don't want to abuse your time, but uh, this is a fascinating conversation, and I wanted to ask you a few yeah. more questions. So do you have I'll time for that? You. Yep, you okay. bet. So um, – I'm going to ask you a question that I used to, you know, I've, I've been lucky in my life. I knew Milton Friedman. I, I actually once met Friedrich Hayek and, you know, Thomas Sowell. So I, I've, I've been really blessed in, in the brilliance of many of the people I've met in my lifetime, the Bill Buckley's of the world. And I used to always ask, especially people like Milton Friedman, what are the three things that we should do to increase the prosperity of the country? And I want to ask you that question. If you could wave a wand, David, and you could make three changes to the country and our policies right now, what would you do that would generate, uh, you know, more wealth, more prosperity, more jobs for America? The number one thing, the number one thing is an immediate, 
vigilant tackling of national debt that doesn't allocate so much of our resources as a country to the public sector and debt service, but reallocates to the private sector where there is a smarter, more knowledgeable, more opportunistic allocation of resources. And so I love that one. What's number two? Number two would be a vigilant determination (laughs) for energy independence. We should be exporting oil and gas. And then number three is a uh, subsidiarity of federalism, allow so much of the regulatory issues that we deal with to be at the state and local level, not the federal level. Oh, I love that. You know what that does? It gets rid of a lot of regulations because at the state and local level, we won't put up with it. I love that. You know, when I asked Milton Friedman that, you know, back 30 years ago, right before he died, you know what his three things were pretty close to yours. The first was cut government spending, (laughs) which is basically what you're saying, you know, divert those resources to the private sector. His second was free trade, which probably won't surprise you. And his uh, third was school choice, because as you know, he devoted so much of his life to education freedom, which by the way, we're making great progress on that issue. I don't know if you know, been following this, David. We sure are. We're Absolutely. allowing more and more kids around the country to have more choices with education. Okay, final question, and then I will let you go. Uh, my question for the day for our listeners is, do you like or not like what uh, Kevin McCarthy has put forward in his plan to deal with this debt ceiling issue? And I, I think you're probably aware of this, but there's four or five components. He wants to put a 1% cap on government spending. He wants to claw back some of that unspent COVID money, which is in the hundreds of billions of dollars. He wants to cancel the student loan bailouts and he wants to not hire the, you know, $40 billion more for the IRS. Um, and I think I might've missed, well, and he has the work requirements, you know, for welfare. And I wonder, you know, of those ideas, you know, what, what do you think of those? I like all of them. I, I, there are some who would say, why even allow 1% increase in spending? And I <laughs> I'm it, there. You know. Yeah. But, we, you know, we have to deal with the politically possible and the politically yeah. realistic. And I love the idea, too, that he's not trying to beat something with nothing. He's not saying, we're not going to raise the debt limit, but we're not going to pass our own budget. You know, Boehner right. got the right. sequester concessions out of Obama because the House GOP passed a debt limit increase. And, yes. and that's what McCarthy's looking yes. to do. So I, I theoretically like it all. Would you and I both find a couple of things we wanted to tweak? I'm sure we would. But conceptually, I like where it's headed. Yeah, you and I think alike. That's why I love having you on the show. And I always <laughs> learn so much from you. That's David Bonson. And his book, again, is There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. Folks, you got to get it. You know, you can... Just have a lot of fun reading it. I learn so much from it when I pick it up and just flip through it and find wonderful quotes from great, great, great economists going back to Adam Smith. Um, David, have a great weekend. Thanks so much for joining. And, folks, uh, so now much, I will turn to our callers. And that 1-800 number is 1-800-848-9222. Um, I want to hear from people from both sides, liberals and conservatives, wh- whether you think that uh, – that Kevin McCarthy is doing the right thing here on this debt ceiling because there's going to be a big standoff this week and there's going to be a big question about whether the Republicans can get this bill passed. Should they pass it? That's my question for you all. So, Mr. Producer, do we have any callers yet? Yes, we have Andrew from New Jersey. Andrew, thanks for calling. So I like what Kevin uh, McCarthy has come up with. What do you think? And also, uh, excellent title, no free lunch. It reminds me of industrious people. I do uh, video journalism and video production, 
and it was a Woodstock reunion concert, like a little thing <laughs> we were shooting. Yep. And yeah. the one guy that was working with me was um, an immigrant from Cuba, and he was real hardworking, and his parents, you know, escaped Cuba, and they, like, taught him patriotism, and he loved And the other guy was, like, a hippie guy that was, like, real laid back. <laughs> and the hippie guy was using the term the free kitchen. He was saying there's a free kitchen. And then... <laughs> The Cuban immigrant guy sat him down and he said, there's nothing free in life unless it comes from mom and dad. <laughs> he told them people That's have really to make great. donations. That's how yeah. Well, that's a great, great call, Andrew. Thank you for calling. By the way, I, for those of you who don't really know the context of what that means, there's no free lunch. It's simply the idea that, you know, if the government's going to give you a free lunch, somebody else has to pay for it. <laughs> and that's me and you. The, 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 the per, people who pay for it are the, all the rest of the American citizens. And at some point, if everybody's getting a free lunch, then nobody's going to produce anything and the economy is going to collapse. So that's the problem with the government taking care of us. Okay, Mr. Producer, who is our next caller? Enoch from New Jersey. Thank you for calling in. What have you got for us? Hey, good afternoon. I saw Doug Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L, on Google. Hey, um, when Trump says he spent $8 million, I have the audio of him admit he bribed Russia, but he put me in jail so he can't hear those tapes. He says, you can't have those two items unless you get out, or two digital recordings I have of Trump and I talking. He says, I can't wait to get out and get back to the land where the criminals are. As Patterson, New Jersey, he's aiding and abetting Nestor Guzman. He's erasing audio of us talk about bribes in court. And when you hear him say... There doesn't seem to be any signs of domestic violence, but he decides who lives or dies. He's threatening witnesses of human trafficking ring. All right. Well, look, this is completely off the topic of what we're here to talk about. So I, I'm going to have to cut you off because I want to talk about the economy. This is a show about uh, how people can uh, prosper in this great American economy and whether you like what Kevin McCarthy is doing. Do you think Republicans should stand tight here and hold the line on this debt? I say yes, but I want to hear from others. So, Mr. Producer, who's our next caller? We have Brian from Franklin Park. Brian, thanks for calling in. By the way, while we're waiting for Brian to come on, uh, I want to remind people we've got a few more minutes. We've got one or two lines open, 1-800-848-9222. Go ahead, Brian. Hi, Steve. Yeah, nice to talk to you. Um, you too. First off, to answer your question, yes, I agree. Just McCarthy's move, and I think they should definitely stand tight. I have another question for you, too, uh, that I'd love to hear a comment on. Have you ever followed this fellow, Edward Dowd, and the signals he's seeing? I'm sorry, did I follow what? Edward Dowd. The name Edward Dowd? Dowd? Yeah, he. I don't think I do. What, he's an ex BlackRock guy uh, who's on his own, and he's called a lot of things, and he's seeing signals. And I'm just a dumb engineer, so you guys are in a different <laughs> wheelhouse than I am. So I have to catch up. But if someone like yourself or Larry would look into his stuff and comment on it and dumb it down for us, that would be great. How do you spell it? D O D Dowd. Dowd D O W D. I'll look it up. Thanks for calling. So. uh I want to mention one other thing that I forgot in the in the uh, plan that uh, Joe McCarthy, I mean Joe, Joe McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy has put forward, which is to not hire these eighty-seven thousand IRS agents. And I think I have to say, I think that is so important. I don't think it makes any sense for the government to continue to delve into every single financial transaction that Americans make. Why can't we just have a simple tax system that basically says you pay 18% 
you know, I know I'm going to try to get my friend Steve Forbes on this uh, show sometime in the next couple of weeks because it, it's so commonsensical. And one of my frustrations with Washington is things that make sense are discarded. They don't. There are so many sensible things like why don't we have a simple tax form, a postcard reform, postcard form you could fill out in half an hour at the most. And you're, everybody's going to pay their fair share. Right. If you take 10 times more money than I do, you're going to pay 10 times more tax. You get a tax deduction for yourself and your kids. So, you know, we want to be pro family here. But no, we're not going to give you $7,500 off your taxes to buy a Tesla or an electric vehicle. We're not going to have all these other credits. We're not. Why? For example, why should you get a tax write off to invest in a municipal bond, but you don't get a tax write off to buy a bond by a private company. I mean, don't we want private enterprise to flourish in this country? Why can't we make it simple? Why can't that we have a system that's, and by the way, I'm radical on this. I would like to eventually get rid of the entire income tax structure and then just have a national sales tax of 20%, which would raise the revenue we need to fund our government, but would basically mean that the government wouldn't even have to track how much money you make because you just pay your taxes when you go to the cash register. There are nine states that have tax systems like that. And guess what? Tennessee, Texas, Florida, uh, Nevada, they do very well without an income tax. So I want to think big here, folks. I want to think about the big things we can do to make our country more prosperous and to reduce income inequality by rising up people at the bottom. One of the things that my friend Art Laffer says all the time, which there's so much wisdom in what Arthur always says, but we want to, as those of us who are conservative and free market advocates, we want to make poor people richer. We don't want to make rich people poor. <laughs> income inequality. You know, you can go to Cambodia if you want income inequality because everybody's poor. Would you feel good about being in Cambodia and having income of $1,000 a year and everybody's got the same income? I don't think so. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox, but I feel very strongly about that. Uh, Mr. Producer, do we have time to squeeze in one or two more callers? Yep. Uh, Bill from Garden City. Bill, thanks for calling. Hey, Steve. Oh, my God. I was just going to say the same thing. Why can't this be a flat tax? It makes yes. so much sense. It makes so much sense, 20% across the board. And it's going on. Yes. Yes, I I, I do agree with McCarthy, but I just pray that when he does raise it $1.7 trillion, that he's definitely cutting costs. And I didn't see that in the report. Is he doing that? Okay, so don't don't jump off because I want to ask you a question. You know, because you asked me a question about, you know, why don't they just put in a flat tax? And I'm going to give you the what I think is the answer, and I want to know if you agree with me. I think they don't want a simple... Uh, you know, understandable, comprehensible, common sense tax system, because then what would happen with all the tax lawyers and what would the, what would the politicians buy and sell as favors? You know, they use the tax code as a way to bring power to Washington, right? And they don't want to give up that power because that's how they raise campaign contributions. That's how they stick their finger in all the, uh, activities of, of, uh, the private sector. Do you disagree with me on that? Absolutely not. I totally agree with you on that. And yeah. that, that, and the wild thing is, if they if they do a twenty percent tax across the board, they can't uh, they can't uh, hire the eighty seven thousand. Uh, <laughs> exactly. 
You get an A in economics, my friend. This is the More Money Show. Have a great weekend, folks. I'll be back next weekend, same time, same bat channel, 1 p.m. every Saturday afternoon. Have a great weekend, folks. And, uh, and remember, this is the greatest country on earth. New York's news and talk station. Download the 77 WABC mobile app now. This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio. WABC New York and 1071 WLIR. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.